What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. Man, does it feel good to say that. We have been uh, far away from the pod for a little bit, uh, getting used to new schedules. I feel like every time we take a break and we come back, we say we have new schedules. We're getting used to them. I swear it has been a lot uh, these past few weeks with the holidays and everything going on. But we are back. We have a new schedule. We think we're ready to start rolling that out. So, Blake, how you doing, man? How's it feel to be back? Yeah, it's good. And, yeah, getting back in the in the game of things, I know I went home for about a week and a half, and then uh, work stuff has been busy. But even before that, I know just our schedules weren't fitting up. We actually were uh, together a couple weeks back. Yeah. We came and visited Nashville, and uh, I think we spent too much time partying and not enough time to sit down and do a podcast. We were too busy <laughs> having fun, but... Yeah, surprise, hopefully, surprise. hopefully what we got now is a, is a good setup where we can get podcasts out there two days a week, uh, at, starting after this week, of course. Um, but but yeah, I'm excited to get back in the groove of things. Yeah, and we're back just in time uh, for NFL playoffs, uh, which so far have been exciting. But Blake, you've been pulled away a little bit. You got mm-hmm. a, a new friend there uh, in I your do. apartment who's just moved in. How's that going? Yeah, yeah, it's great. I adopted a mini golden doodle on January 1st, and it has been um, it's been a lot. Yeah, especially mixing in with, with work <laughs> stuff and just uh, journalism stuff on the side, too, and then just life things. It's been uh interesting crate training potty training there's a lot of interesting things for the most part he's been pretty good especially the last few days but there's definitely some moments where you know you get woken up at three in the morning and you got to take him out and you're just like damn uh this is uh not not too easy but we'll get through it it's uh it's been fun i enjoy my good friend bush now and uh and yeah, I so hate it's been that good. you named him that. I love that I did. <laughs> it's very on brand. But it is. It I, is. I've I've never had a dog, so I can't necessarily relate on what it's like to have to wake up at three in the morning. I've had cats, and they usually just sleep mm-hmm. for most of the time, so it's pretty easy. Right. But that definitely seems like a lot. I'm I'm glad that you're able to get him at least somewhat more trained. I know he was peeing on the floor a lot yes, the first couple of days, so <laughs> I guess we're I guess we're improving. Yeah, uh, yeah if that's not happening. Progress. So mm-hmm. all right, well we are here uh, to talk about sports. That is what this podcast is about. So how about we go ahead and dive right in? We're picking up this podcast, like I said, right after Wild Card Weekend. In fact, the last game of the weekend just ended about 20 minutes ago. Uh, so we are fresh from sitting on our couches and watching football all weekend. Or in my case, I was sitting at work watching football all weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think overall, it was a really exciting weekend. All four games were very close, came down to the wire. I would say the NFL would consider this weekend to be a success. Uh, Blake, what was your take, main takeaway from the four games? Yeah, all four of them were really good. And, and, you know, the quality, and I was thinking about this earlier, you know, the, you know, I wouldn't say there was one team that played a really good game, a really good 60 minutes of football. You know, there was a, you know, it was pretty messy for just about every team, but that kind of made things a little bit more hectic, a little more wild. Each of these games, you know, finished except for, well, no, all of the games finished in one possession games because even Seahawks Eagles was only a, 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 sorry, an eight point game there. So all very close games, all very exciting games, games that went down to the wire and, uh, and yeah, I, I enjoyed it, and it's setting up for a, a great weekend next weekend, heading into then championship weekend after that, and hopefully a good Super Bowl. So hopefully the, the results can be as close as this. We had the two overtime games as well, too, but there was definitely some sloppy play in there. 
Oh, absolutely. Sloppy pet play throughout the weekend, but that's football uh, and, and the, the nature of this league where you're one and done if you lose. You know, you really have to, to play clean or at least toward the end or hope that the other team is just as sloppy as you if you hope to move on uh, because you don't get any second chances if you do mess up one game plan. So we'll start off uh, with the first game of the weekend. Hey. That was yesterday, Saturday, I guess for you all. This is Monday morning. So Saturday uh, afternoon, we had the Bills uh, going over into Houston. Uh, where apparently every Walmart in Houston ran out of folding tables <laughs> yes. um, uh, for Bills fans to go crazy. I'm sure their presence there in Houston was massive. Bills Mafia, uh, absolutely insane. I know somebody that was down there, and he was telling me it was an absolutely crazy atmosphere for Bills fans. So hopefully for you know the Texans' sake, the fans showed up for them. But Bills got off to a hot start, 13 to nothing at halftime. Uh, it was all Bills at that point. Josh, Josh Allen was the story of the game. They did have that trick play there uh, where you had John Brown uh, throw a 16-yard touchdown pass to Allen. So it was pretty crazy just overall the, the game plan that the Bills brought out. But they really came out flat in the second half. And Bill O'Brien made some halftime adjustments, which I'm sure, Blake, uh, surprised the hell out of you. Uh, mm-hmm. But the Texans go on after being blanked in the first half, win it uh, 22-19. They go to overtime. Deshaun Watson didn't necessarily put up crazy numbers, but despite taking seven sacks, was able to put up a 121.2 passer rating, 20 of 25 uh, completions. So overall, he, he really showed out. It was a great game for him and shows just what kind of quarterback he can be and imagine what kind of quarterback he could be with a competent offensive line. Blake, what was your biggest takeaway here from this game? Yeah, first things first, and I, I want to, um, and this kind of ties into what you're saying, I really don't think that Bill O'Brien necessarily made second-half adjustments to get the win. I think just <laughs> Sean Watson did that, um, and more so where it came from. I thought both head coaches uh, coached a terrible game. I think I tweeted out in the fourth quarter that we should, just for the hell of things, send um, Joe Tessitore and Booger down to the sidelines, let them coach, and put Bill O'Brien and Sean McDermott up at the booth because all four of them were awful at their jobs uh, on Saturday. So, yes, the Bills jumped out to a quick uh, 16-0 lead it, uh, through the third quarter. And then what they did is they pulled the old Doug Marone, and um, I was talking about this online as well, too, a couple days ago. Uh, remember when the Jaguars uh, took a fourth-quarter lead into New England in the AFC title game in 2017? They went extremely conservative in the second half of that game um, after being very aggressive in the first half and just let New England creep back in and uh, ended up losing that game and a chance to go to the Super Bowl. The Bills jumped out to a 16-0 lead, and they went completely conservative with that offense, didn't um, you know get as creative as they did on the opening drive. We never saw that really again, and they really you know, lost the game themselves. I, I don't think Houston won this game. I think Deshaun Watson was able to do enough for the Texans to win it, um, but... Man, I was really unimpressed with the coaching in this in this game. Yeah, I mean, we saw Brian Dable's scripted plays coming out. You know, they score a touchdown on that opening drive, the Bills do. Uh, and after that, it was just kind of a lot of question marks, you know, moving forward. So I'd say overall, the scripted plays were very good. They were impressive. It included a trick play. We saw that creativity, but uh, I get where you're coming at. You know, After that, we just had a bunch of field goals from the Bills, and of course, the Texans just kept stalling and giving up all those sacks uh, in that first half. I'm not the biggest Bill O'Brien fan. Uh, I, I do think that 
you know, this is this team is Deshaun Watson and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, we saw the defense step up in a lot of ways. You know, I don't want to discredit uh, a lot of the players on there. I, I thought they did have a, a very strong defensive performance. Uh, there were a lot of deep shots that Josh Allen took downfield. You know, he had 46 passing attempts in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought the Texans secondary did a good job of blanketing those receivers. I think that the Bills have a very underrated receiving core. Uh, you know, guys like John Brown mm-hmm. and Cole Beasley actually, you know, had pretty good years this year. Uh, yeah. Some sneaky good players there. Devin Singletary is, is an up-and-coming running back in this league, uh, and I, I expect a lot of things out of him moving forward. So they've got some good pieces, uh, and credit the Texans' defense for really being able to shut that down. I think the, the ultimate difference in this game came down to Deshaun Watson versus Josh Allen, and ultimately Deshaun Watson was that guy. Yeah, Deshaun Watson was amazing. He he was unbelievable, and of course, you know, the highlight play, his his Michael Jordan moment, as you know, as uh, Dabo Sweeney compared him to Michael Jordan back in his days in Clemson, he's that guy that when he needs to be relied on to win a game, he pulls it out. And, um, you know, that play where they were uh, Buffalo was blitzing him in that last drive, and both of, two defenders hit Deshaun. He just spun out of it and completed a pass that then went 40 yards down the field to set up the win. Um, it, it was a remarkable game by Deshaun Watson, and, and I was really impressed with him. And on the flip side of things, for Josh Allen, we really got all of what we've seen from Josh Allen in his early career. We saw the very good, and we saw the very bad. He he can make some really great plays. I remember there was a uh, a third down throw into a tight window to Devin Singletary on a on a kind of a uh, a V route that completed for uh, fourth down in the fourth quarter, and you know that was a, a tight window throw between two Texans defenders very good throw but then of course we have the lateral pointless pointless there we've got him throwing to a fullback in double coverage uh, we got the full gamut of Josh Allen in this game um, whether it was good or bad and uh, and yeah I agree you know it came down to quarterback play at the end of things yeah, that, that lateral in particular really oh. stood out as just a kind of head scratcher. When you first saw it, you thought the ball popped out you know, on live speed, and then you go in the, the zoomed-in slow motion, and you're like, holy crap, he literally just chucked that back out of nowhere, and Dawson Knox just had to turn around and be like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. why, why is this ball here? <laughs> exactly. uh, made the right move to swat it out. But, you know, Josh Allen, still a young player. This was his first career postseason start. So, mm-hmm. you know, you'd expect him to have some growing pains. Uh, but we, like you said, we did see some good moments from him. And I think, you know, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about the Bills moving forward. You know, they made the playoffs two years ago uh, as a kind of a fluke last play, uh, you know, Andy Dalton gifts them yes. that that playoff berth. I don't think anybody expected them to be perennial contenders per se, but with the future of the Patriots up in the air and the AFC so top heavy right now, I think there's a lot of reason to believe that the Bills could be back next year moving forward with Josh Allen as quarterback and there's a lot of reasons to expect him, you know, to be that guy moving forward. So, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that uh, I'm necessarily worried about him uh, moving forward, but there were certainly a lot of plays where you were like what is this guy doing yeah and and that's what we've seen from his his entire you know first two seasons as a starting quarterback in the NFL it's what we saw in Wyoming he's a guy that kind of is just gonna go willy-nilly across the field make whatever decisions he's thinking at the time he really doesn't have too much forethought into what he's doing Um, but that being said I agree with you you know looking for the bills in their future they do have a lot of cap space they do have a lot of uh, upcoming free agents uh, that they're going to have to bring back, especially on that defense in the front seven. There are some key guys in there, uh, Matt Milano, 
Uh, oh, God, I wish I had the list up right now. But some key young guys on the front seven. Um, of course, they just lost Lorenzo Alexander, who retired. Um, and, and the biggest thing for me, I agree, John Brown and Cole Beasley are, are an underrated one-two punch, but they need... They need an outside threat. Um, you know, they tried. They almost traded Ant- for Antonio Brown, uh, as we can remember. Uh, I feel like yeah. at midnight, and then you know, AB, you know, shot that down that he wouldn't go play with the Bills. They're going to be in the market to try and get a top wide receiver connected with Josh Allen because uh, I, I agree. I like John Brown. I like Cole Beasley, but they're not. They can't be counted on as number one wide receivers. And if you compare someone like that um, to a young quarterback that can give him a lot of help moving forward. Speaking of Antonio Brown, did you see his tweet from yes. a couple of hours ago? <laughs> yes, I did. He is, uh, the Antonio the Brown curse yep. over the last week. The Steelers, Raiders, Bills, Patriots, and Saints all got eliminated. Thank you, AB, for reminding us of that. And by the way, your single is trash. Yeah. Like, complete and utter garbage yeah it was awful like he just says a whole lot of money over yeah, and over yeah. again and he just had he had to auto-tune that which like it's a three-word phrase and you had to auto-tune that really yeah I'm sorry i i'm a little heated about this well i partially you know, because you know he just totally blew his saints uh workout but you know that's besides yeah the point. <laughs> yeah oh well <laughs> But overall, it was an ugly game. Texans moving on. They will be facing the Chiefs mm-hmm. in, uh, at 3.05 p.m. on Sunday. So yeah. now we get to see Deshaun Watson versus Patrick Mahomes, which is a treat. Yes, it's uh, the fully expected. It's the Mitchell Trubisky Bowl. <laughs> I really hope he's in attendance. Yeah, me um, too. <laughs> you know, if you better tweet or something, you know, during that game, right? Just, we need to complete the triangle. Exactly. If you're not going to make fun of that situation, like, come on. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a All fun right. one. It is. We'll see. Uh, it definitely, uh, Andy Reid is a bit of a step up uh, coaching wise. So Bill O'Brien's going to have to bring his best game plan uh, if they are going to walk out of Arrowhead with a win. Mm-hmm. Now. Speaking of surprising upsets, the Titans taking down the Patriots 20-13. to All right, I'm just going to leave the floor for you, Blake. What the hell went wrong with New England in this game? Yeah, so I I think it's representative of what we saw over the second half of the season with them. Uh, Teams that could be physical uh, up front with them just gave them fits all the time. And I said it on this podcast before. New England had spent its priority this offseason really fixing and bolstering the back end of that defense because they thought their biggest threat was going to be uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and their aerial attack with Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey. And so basically up front in their front seven on defense, they just don't have the guys to combat with a power run offense. And that's why they look so bad against uh, the Ravens earlier in the season that's why the Texans, Carlos Hyde, had a really good game against them in that game. And then why why Derrick Henry, who's definitely one of the better running backs in football, uh, might be up there as the best one now over the last uh, you know season, if you take just a look at the last 16, 18 games that he's played in. And they just pounded and pounded up front. I, I was speaking to my brother before the game, who's a Patriots fan, and he, he was nervous, you know, rightfully so. And I said... Uh, to him the first thing you know if if we start to see Tennessee if in their first drive they can go seven minutes on the field just running the ball getting five six yards of carry and they finish it off with a touchdown the New England's going to be in trouble and sure enough Tennessee marches down a very long drive they kept the Patriots offense off of the field Uh, Ryan Tannehill was effective when he needed to be the play action was great Derrick Henry was amazing and uh, on the other end 
you know, it's 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 where the Patriots screwed up this offseason. They didn't give Tom Brady, an aging Tom Brady, enough weapons to help him out in the passing game. You know, Julian Edelman, he's great. Can't be counted on when everybody else is very inexperienced. They don't have tight end play. Uh, the running back situation wasn't great, especially losing their fullback. Offensive line injuries, uh, kind of just a, a, a messy year for New England. And, uh, it you know, we all expected it to maybe, you know, they, they might go on this FU tour, but... Tennessee came in there and shocked him. Yeah, I mean, I personally, so I, I put money down on the Titans just because, because I couldn't, you know, I, I just wanted to buy in for mm-hmm. no reason whatsoever, just because I wanted the Patriots to lose. I mean, I think everybody, you know, with a sane <laughs> uh, brain in, in you know, the States was rooting for that. But the Titans, you know, they showed up. Uh, we we didn't see a whole ton of Ryan Tannehill, only 15 passing attempts on the day, uh, mm-hmm. but we did see a whole lot of Derrick Henry, and he really showed up. 34 carries, 182 yards, it's 5.4 yards per carry. He also had that one uh, touchdown that was stripped away, and then he goes and runs it in on the next play anyway uh, to you know make sure he got it. The receiving core was shut down as we kind of thought it would be. I mean, going into this game, you know, we, we talk about Stephon Gilmore and this vaunted pass defense for the Patriots, and it was a kind of a, a consensus was, look, if, if the Titans are going to win, then Ryan Tannehill is going to have to have the game of his life. He didn't. And, you know, while I wouldn't say the Patriots necessarily sold out to stop the pass, it was more that the Titans just knew they didn't need to. Right. You know, as much as the, the Patriots would stretch out their defense, the Titans were just going to pound up the middle, you know, keep churning out those yards, like you said. And, and ultimately, Derrick Henry had one of the best games of his career, uh, and it really showed. And I think, you know, as close as this game was at the end, obviously, with the Patriots getting the ball back uh, with a chance to drive down the field, I want to say it was like 30 seconds left or something like that. And, you know, he throws that pick six to end the season. Even despite that, I felt like the Titans were just outplaying the Patriots all day. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they were, you know, they kind of just relied on Brady. You know, 37 attempts in the game is not exactly what you want uh, out of your 43 year old quarterback or however old he is right now. You, you want to be able to go to that, that running game. You want to be able to throw uh, those shorter passes passes and you know James uh, White certainly had a good game five receptions for 62 yards but at the same time you know nothing was working laterally Brady really wasn't able to elevate the team like we've seen him do time and time again and it just looked like a different you know empty shell of the Patriots from what we're used to seeing yeah and a few things went wrong during the game as well too of course McCourty being inactive before then they lose Gilmore so that's their number one and number two corners that are you know out essentially or banged up by the end of you know somewhere in the second half you know Landon Roberts who had been so effective for New England and we really started to see him come alive in week 16 and 17 as both a linebacker and a fullback he got knocked out of the game so it really at the end of the day, uh, you know, mixed in with Tennessee being able to stay on the field for the majority of that game on offense and just chew and chew the clock on long drive after long drive, the Patriots weren't able to play to their, their game because of injuries and, and also falling behind and, and not having a ton of opportunities to, uh, to move the ball and get long drives themselves. And what a way for the dynasty to crash down. Or is it? Hey. Uh, Blake, do you think? Hey. Uh, we, we've talked about this off the podcast extensively, uh, but do you think that Brady returns to the Patriots? I certainly don't, which I know mm-hmm. is been a hot take this year, uh, but it seems to be that expectation among 
Boston beat writers that that's going to be the case. Whether he retires or goes to another team is a question for sure, but it appears uh, that the organization is in a position where it feels comfortable pivoting and going in another direction. Well, what it comes down to is who's going to win the dispute between Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft has made it adamant that he wants Tom Brady to finish his career as a New England Patriot. It would make him sick to his stomach to see Brady play elsewhere. Meanwhile, Bill Belichick has been trying for years to get younger at the quarterback position. He didn't want to trade away Jimmy Garoppolo. He was okay with trading Jacoby Brissett, but still wasn't great about it. And they still continually try and bring in some younger quarterbacks to see if they can strike gold in the later rounds. So what what it comes down to is Robert Kraft has the pull to say that that Tom Brady can stay as quarterback. And so one way or the other, I think this dynasty is going to end. It just depends in what way, who is going to be moving on, who is going to be staying. Because if if Bill Belichick has had enough and Robert Kraft says, hey, Brady's your quarterback and he's going to be your quarterback until he decides to retire, are we sure that Belichick wouldn't go take a, an intriguing job elsewhere? He's still got eight, ten years left as a head coach. And so maybe he could go prove, you know, screw you, Tom Brady. I'm going to win with a with a new young team elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what his contract situation is right now. Well, he can um, get out of it. But Players get out of contracts all the time. Coaches can get out of contracts. Fair, fair. Okay, so say, yeah, certainly that that is the case. Um, the one thing that is interesting to me, though, that might give Belichick the leverage is that Brady is saying that he won't give the Patriots a home down discount this time. Right. He's, you know, in the twilight of his career, he's been doing it for his entire time with the Patriots. It's now time for him to get paid. That's at least his mentality uh, in this negotiations. Now, Belichick could go to Kraft and just say, look, like we've been building based off of a quarterback who gives us a hometown discount. Mm -hmm. We need to go younger so that we can afford to pay all these players. Because I I firmly believe that Kraft values winning uh, above all else. And, you know, as much as he might love Brady, if if he looks down at the numbers, you know, he's a businessman. He looks down at the numbers and sees that this won't work. Then, you know, I, I think he could be persuaded by Belichick to let him go, in which case, Brady becomes a free agent and becomes a question, do you want to retire uh, or do you want to move on? And I feel like losing in the wild card round is not the way that Tom Brady, winner of six Super Bowls, considered the unanimous GOAT, wants mm. to go out. You know, So I, I feel like he's going to be looking at other teams. Uh, one that really stands out to me is the Chargers. The Chargers over in L.A. where he, Brady's been playing his cold weather in his entire career. Go over to L.A., have some actual pieces around him offensively. You know, he, he's. We were just talking about how he had nobody in the passing game outside of Julian Edelman. Nobody was able to get any kind of ground going in the run game. You go over to the Chargers and you've got Mike Williams and Keenan Allen in that receiving core. Hunter Henry at tight end. You've got Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler at running back. I mean, it's everything you could ask for as a veteran quarterback. And I'm telling you. Despite the fact that it might not make a ton of football sense for the Chargers, they're opening a new stadium next year and have struggled mightily to lure fans. Mm -hmm. I feel adamantly that if they were to bring in Tom Brady, they would sell out, at least at the start of the season. They play well, they could build a fan base that way. It would be important for them to do well, but at least ticket sales would go through the roof uh, if all of a sudden Tom Brady was in L.A. So I I feel like the Chargers are a great fit for him, but I know, Blake, you're looking in a different direction. Yeah, well, and and before I go there, and there's a number of of places we can take a look at, but just my thing with the Chargers real quick, and I I think that this is bigger than anything, is for when you got a a 40-plus-year-old quarterback, one of the most important things, you know, weapons aside, is an offensive line. 
and, and the Chargers have the 29th ranked offensive line this season. Uh, they haven't been above 26th in pass protection since 2014, and that's just above 26th. Uh, so an offensive line is really rough, plus we aren't sure if Melvin Gordon is going to be back. Um, so, you know, there, there are reasons why I agree the Chargers themselves would want to make the decision, but I feel like if Brady is looking at opportunities, yes, the weapons are nice. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen is amazing. Austin Eckler is there, but, you know, what has, you know, aside from last season when they made it to the playoffs as an 11-5 and team and lost in the first round, what has that coach, you know, Anthony Lynn really proven yet? Um, well, that's the, here's the thing. You could fire Anthony Lynn and hire Josh McDaniels. Well, so, yeah. So What's, I, to, what's to stop them from doing that? Well, no, so that's the other direction, and I, I like where you're going with this because when I was going to say with, with opportunities, there's A, the avenue that Josh McDaniels chooses to leave and join a head coach of a team, and, and say the Chargers want to make that move and, and fire uh, Anthony Lynn to bring in McDaniels, then that makes, that makes a ton of sense. I, I would agree with you there. Of course, there are other destinations that are interviewing, like the Carolina Panthers. I would you know, argue they're probably still pretty far away, and the NFC is more competitive than the AFC to me right now. Um, then you're joining a division with Drew Brees as well, too, a rebounding Falcons team. So, you know, there are some areas where Josh McDaniels could join with Brady elsewhere. Um, but then there's you got to take a look at some other scenarios. And mine, and I, and I, you know, Colts Twitter got a little crazy over the weekend because there were some indie reports <laughs> and some New England reports out. Um, and actually, it got all the way. It started up in Fox uh, Sports with uh, Colin Cowherd reporting. Um the Indianapolis Colts just taking a look at their reason, and and, and I'm going to take a look at both why it would be okay, why it wouldn't be okay, um, not from a fan's perspective, because obviously, you know, if you sign Tom Brady, uh, you're going to sell out, you know, you're going to have a, a lot of energy around the team. Um, specifically, you know, to me, what makes the sense for the Colts is, is the number one thing is the offensive line. They have the best offensive line, the only offensive line to start all Six, uh, five players for all 16 games this season. You've got Costanzo and, and uh, Nelson. You've got Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith. They do need a better right guard from Glowinski, but that can, you know, that's one offensive lineman to find, not three or four like some other teams need to find. Then you go, they've got a really good run game. Marlon Mack was a beast this season, even missing, I believe it was four or five games. He finished a thousand yard uh, season. At receiver, you've got T.Y. Hilton, you've got Jack Doyle, you've got Paris Campbell, a young rookie. Uh, they're expected to draft in the first or second round another young wide receiver there too. Uh, they could bring back Devin Funches as well. And a strong offensive-minded head coach in Frank Reich, Nick Sirianni as the offensive coordinator there as well too. So those are the reasons that it would make sense for me. But at the same time, I think from the Colts' perspective, you take a look at the numbers this year, uh, Tom Brady had the same completion percentage or a lower completion percentage than Jacoby Brissett and the same quarterback rating. Now, obviously you take Brady's experience and his knowledge over Brissett's any day, but you know, Tom Brady is an older quarterback. How are you going to guarantee that where he signs, he's going to be great. You need a perfect situation for him. And so that's why I'm a little hesitant about him just going into but something. Are we really arguing that the Colts are a perfect situation? No, I'm not saying are you that. Saying, are you saying that the, no. the Colts were a better quarterback away from being a legit playoff contender? I mean, with Andrew Luck. If, if we're, Andrew if Luck, we're considering were this, Tom Brady it, the better quarterback. Hey, it, 
with Andrew Luck, they were in the divisional round last year. They started off 5-2 this year But you could also say Andrew Luck is a much better quarterback than Tom Brady is right now. Yes, but they also have $100 million in cap space. They've nailed the last two drafts. I think they're a better situation than the Chargers, definitely. I mean, what are the? I well, mean, the Chargers have a worse this. defense. They have a worse run game, a worse offensive line, and a slower but offensive system. Defenses system. fluctuate. That happens all the time, and they still have plenty of pieces. They dealt were dealt with bad hand and injuries this year. You could trade Where? your first no, round didn't. pick next year. They didn't have injuries on. They got Derwin James through half the season, but aside from that, they were pretty pretty healthy, especially on the edge with Bosa and Ingram. I gotta pull it up, but. If you want to talk about injuries, it was the Colts who were injured all season. Oh, well, I'm not. I'm not saying they weren't. I'm not saying they weren't. But um, Denzel Perriman was out. Thomas Davis, um, not injury related. Yeah, I guess it wasn't too bad on the defensive side. Maybe I'm thinking of another team. But I, I don't know. I feel like the Chargers overall are still, you know, even if like you look at LeBron in the twilight of his career. Sure, the Lakers were a, a title threat, uh, certainly. But also, you know, he, he's at the end of his career. He wanted to get paid, and he wanted to go to a place where, you know, he'd be able to kind of settle in, uh, be the face, and, you know, really kind of soak up the last little bits of his career while he can. And I feel like as much as Brady wants to win, I'm and I'm still arguing that it's a very good situation for Brady to go in in L.A., uh, I, I do feel like it's um, outside of football. There's a lot of things that make sense for it too. So I, I think there are a lot of factors here when you talk about an older player like this. Uh, you know, it might not just come down to who can pay him the most and you know who can um, give him the the best chance to win. There might be other factors at play here, uh, as mm-hmm. as often is the case. So. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like there are just a lot of factors at play. You know, m- maybe Melvin Gordon isn't back, but Austin Eckler performed very well in his absence. I have no doubt that he'd be able to do that again next year. You, you make the offensive line a priority in the draft. Maybe you go out and you trade for a guy like Trent Williams from the Redskins, uh, get that left tackle in there if he's still not willing to play in Washington moving forward. You know, there are a lot of certainly a lot of ways you can address a bad offensive line. And yes, like you said, there are a couple of holes there that you know makes it a lot more than just one quick fix but I think that you could dress it up in a way that would tell Brady like look by the start of training camp we're going to look great uh, you know you're you're going to feel very good about the, the pieces that you have around you both skill positions and up front so mm-hmm. I, I just feel like you know you, you got to look at the whole picture here I do agree with you that the Colts are certainly a, a younger team one that has a lot of cap space would be able to make additional moves bringing Brady in uh, but I'm also you know I'm it's the Colts, and as much as Brady might have some resentment for Belichick, does he have the same resentment for Patriots fans? Does he really want to go to that one team that was such a big rival for them mm-hmm. almost his entire career? I don't know. I don't know if right. he'd want to slight Patriots fans like that because he uh, he strikes me as the guy who loves his legacy uh, in New England and loves that he's adored by all those fans and they look at him as the GOAT. Does he really want to throw all that away to see if he can win one extra title at the end of his career? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree. You know, going to the Colts over, you know, a certain amount of teams, uh, you know, aside from, I guess, if he went to an AFC East team, which would be absolutely insane. Um, yeah, I agree. Going to the Colts would be a stab in the back. I think going anywhere else is going to be a stab in the back at the end of the day, um, which is why, you know, we we just debated two, two viable options for different reasons. And to me, it just brings me back to thinking that he's still going to be in New England. And I don't know what it looks like, but I can't think that that's going to, you know, a situation like that sits over well with Bill. 
Um, I, I still think that Kraft, at the end of the day, you know, owners, you know, we just saw Jerry Jones and how passionate he is about his, his, you know, Jason Garrett, how he held on to him for 10 years and how owners are way too invested and way too um, emotional with their decisions. I wouldn't be surprised if Robert Kraft straight Robert Kraft straight up tells Bill Belichick that Tom Brady is going to be our quarterback until he decides that he doesn't want to play football anymore. So I don't I don't know where it rolls out. An interesting decision that I was thinking about the other day, and then I saw saw a post for it earlier as well too. Is uh, you know maybe there's a situation out there where where Brady stays, Belichick says okay screw it I'm gonna leave. They promote Josh McDaniels to head coach of the Patriots. And Bill Belichick returns to his old stomping grounds, where he began it all with Bill Parcells, and maybe he wants to take over and coach a team like the New York Giants or something like that. I think there's there's a lot of interesting opportunities for him out there if he wanted to, um, and he's or got the Cleveland Browns. ten he more could, years. He could return there. He's, yeah, he's got he's got ten more years. <laughs> he's got ten more years at least, in my opinion. He's got probably eight to ten if he still wants to. Whereas Brady, you know, he's probably got two more, maybe. So, I don't know. It's it's going to be a mess of an offseason in New England, wh- whichever way it goes. But, um, uh, you know, it, I'm excited we could start talking about it now, it, except for, you know, um, aside from, you know, them not winning a seventh Super Bowl together. Fair. All right. We spent way too much time oh, yeah. on this game, so we're going to go ahead and move on uh, to our Sunday slate uh, where we had an absolute stunner. Uh, in New Orleans with the Vikings taking down the Saints 26-20. to It was a sloppy game, uh, especially for the Saints. I felt like they were lucky to only be down three at half, despite the fact that Will Lutz, who is normally very steady, missed a field goal there at the end. I felt like there was just you know some unnecessary penalties, some bad clock management, especially there at the end of the game. Uh, but, of course, as is the Saints' track record, they finished the year uh, on a walk-off with uh, just kind of a devastating end of the game. There was a bit of a push there. I'm not going to pull the uh, Saints, <laughs> you know, I guess the reputation for Saints fans now is to just yell flag on everything. It was a push. It was, but I'm also I'm firmly in the camp that the NFL is too soft, and I think that's one of the reasons as to why. So... I don't think they should have called a flag there. The head of a vice president of officiating came out and said it wasn't a flag. So right. uh, I don't think that Saints fans should be too broken up about that, but they should be broken up about the play of this yeah. team. Overall, it was just a clunker. After being so hot you know, the past few weeks, they lose that one game against the 49ers, but even that, the offense looked fantastic. I mean, they just came out flat. You know, they didn't score a touchdown until the second quarter. You know, usually those scripted plays, that first drive, they, they really go out and do well. And they had great field position on that first drive, but couldn't do it. Uh, overall, I just think the Vikings outplayed them. Dalvin Cook was absolutely fantastic. You know, did only have 3.4 yards per carries, uh, carry, but still, you know, was relied on in crucial situations, was able to churn out a couple of big chunk plays when they needed him to. Kirk Cousins uh, throws for 240 yards and a touchdown gets it done uh, after you know years and years of everybody expecting him not to be able to so uh, i think that the vikings deserve this win uh and you know wish them nothing but the best moving forward yeah i completely agree with you and, and starting off on that final play as well too yes uh you know people can get mad that maybe it it um it wasn't overturned if saints fans thought there was a push or if any any fans out there thought it was a push it was reviewed because all scoring plays are no, reviewed it wasn't reviewed all scoring plays are reviewed 
All well, touchdowns all are. scoring plays are, but not all what penalties. It, what it did is it didn't go under further review. It was just confirmed yes. that it was a touchdown. So they did take yes. a look at it. They just decided, okay, we're not going to go into further review on it. So, yeah. you know, they had people looking at it as a normal scoring touchdown and decided from that point that they didn't need to do any further looking. Um, I agree. Uh it, it, it's one of those plays where, yeah, it's a little bit of a push-off. It wouldn't have been too much to overturn it, especially in a pivotal moment like that. It wasn't nearly as egregious as the call that screwed you guys over last year. Um, Absolutely. But I, I, I agree with you. that The Vikings deserve that win. They played a way better game than New Orleans there. Um, you know, quarterback play by Drew Brees was a little sloppy at times. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, we saw, you know, two... <laughs> I made a joke that Drew Brees tried his best uh, Taysom Hill impression by trying to launch that ball deep when he got picked off, <laughs> where, where Taysom completed that 50-yard pass. Um, yes, and, it, although if Taysom, if Taysom hits oh. uh, Harris in stride, that's a touchdown. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it was a little bit underthrown. Yeah, it was underthrown, definitely, but it was still a, you know, a bomb of a throw. Um, oh, for sure. You know, at, at the end of the day, there were weird. It was just a weird game for the Saints for Breeze and then for Sean Payton as well too. I didn't understand holding on to that third timeout. Me, you know, and and I, a lot of people I think would agree with this. I would much rather have the ball in my hands with two minutes and thirty-five seconds left with no timeouts and the two-minute warning, as opposed to a minute and 55 left with one timeout and the two-minute warning already gone by. They didn't call that timeout before the punt. By the time the punt was over, the two-minute warning had hit, and it, it, it just it knocked off an entire minute of, of potential playing for the Saints to march down there. Um, and then there was also the 10-second runoff uh, penalty when uh, it was a right. false start or something of, of that nature uh, when they should have had a... 10-second uh, runoff unless they wanted to use that timeout, but they elected not to. Right. Took the 10-second runoff, ran a play, and it was a screen that Brees just threw in the dirt because Kamara didn't get open. I guess the, oh. the plan there was for Kamara to catch the ball, run as far as he could upfield, and then call the timeout and yeah. then kick the field goal from there. This was this was at the end of regulation. Right. Uh, but I felt like they were really settling, which was just yeah. kind of uncharacteristic of Sean Payton, he's you know n- n- not considered like Riverboat Ron, but he's <laughs> he's a guy who will certainly take risks uh, a lot. I mean, he's famous for kicking an onside kick after halftime in a Super Bowl, as you know well, Blake. Yeah, uh, you <laughs> know. So I, the fact that you know he had left this this timeout on the board and was clearly just going for the field goal, which in and of itself was a long field goal. I mean, I think it was forty eight mm-hmm. yards. Not that Will Lutz, yeah. you know, hasn't hit field goals of that length plenty of times, but you know, it just was it lacked the aggression that I'm used to seeing out of the Saints offense and overall the the whole offensive unit just looked flat. I thought that the defense played well in spurts but then would have, you know, give up big chunk plays. I mean, we saw Kirk Cousins hit Adam Thielen there right. uh, at the end of the game uh in overtime, you know, all the way down to the two. It was just it, it kind of sucked honestly to to watch that secondary Marshawn Lattimore gets hurt at the end. Uh he would have been in on that play. Exactly. Uh, so you know, as you can be mad about that if you want, but you know, he was limping over on the sidelines and mm-hmm. then, you know, Kyle Rudolph sends the the Vikings into the next round uh with basically just a, a straight fade pass, you know, one on one, you know, let let me let's put our biggest guy up there uh and you know, the Vikings got it done and 
you know, t- tip of the cap, Kirk Cousins finally shaking mm-hmm. that narrative. I don't know if this necessarily shakes the narrative. I think he's going to have to do a little bit more right. uh, in this postseason before anybody starts saying that he can win big games. I mean, you know, he threw for 242 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that's not necessarily otherworldly by any means. Uh, 19 of 31 on the day. But overall, you know, he, he was good enough to get the win. He had the help of, of a great running back duo of Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, which combined for 114 yards uh, rushing on the day as, as well as two touchdowns. So, you know, they have a, a great wide receiver duo. It, they look poised to, to go deep. I mean, we, we talked, you know, about how they kind of struggled down the stretch. But there was a point this season when the Vikings, you know, before that 4-4, that four and four, you know, stumbling over their last eight games, you know, they were 6-2 and two, uh, to start the year, and they looked mm-hmm. like one of the best teams in football. And when they're at their best, I think they're as good as anybody else in the NFC, which is absolutely saying something. Uh, so I think that they're going to be, you know, a, a tough out next week for San Francisco. Yeah, it's going to be a tough game. I still go advantage 49ers and probably think they oh, advance. For sure. But I, I yeah. also want to say, you know, I got to give hats off to Kirk Cousins in this game. Not, not from the way that he played, but... The way he handled uh, his post-game interview when they were, you know, the reporters were trying to get him to talk bad about how oh, all the doubters have said you couldn't win big games. Uh, he showed a lot of um, humility in that, and he, he showed a lot of just like, I don't care what everybody has to say about my Monday night football record. I care about the other 52 men in that locker care about the coaching staff and I care about winning football games and so um, yeah yeah, he made he made clutch plays uh, when he needed to it wasn't all perfect but I was really impressed with how he handled also just talking about the whole situation after the game and it made me feel um, you know really comfortable with him as a leader in the locker room I know he seems corny at times and there are a few players out in the league that seem corny you know with all their sayings and and how they motivate teams if I hear J.J. Watt say, let's go one more time, I'm going to just l- lose it. That's all he said. <laughs> That's all All he can say is let's go. He's the corniest guy on the field other than Russell Wilson. But a guy like Kirk, I, I was really impressed with um, his poise and maturity on on the field during the game and off the field uh, after in, with his postgame interview. Yeah, I mean, just living in Redskins country, I can say <laughs> that the Redskins fan base is, is very divided on how it feels about Kirk Cousins and whether or not it wishes him well in, in his career. And a, a big part of the detractors were, were glad that he was able to, that he left uh, because he couldn't win big games. And there was no way the, the Redskins were going to succeed as a franchise with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. I think that's absolute BS. I mean, you know, sure that he's never won a Monday night football game and, uh, you know, night games just never seemed to be his thing. And, you know, he's faded in the playoffs in the past. But I would say, you know, at the end of the day, he won. And, you know, there were a lot of circumstances that have prevented him from winning in the past. But this time, you know, things broke his way. And I think, you know, in, in the playoffs especially, a couple of bounces here or there can determine the result of whether or not you move on or not. And sometimes it's luck, sometimes it's not. And, you know, Kirk Cousins has, you know, just had one of those careers where things haven't really worked out his way, but I'm happy for the guy. You know, I agree he's a bit corny sometimes, but, uh, you know, he does seem like a good dude. So I'm happy that, you know, he's able to celebrate this, even if it was at the expense of the Saints. Definitely. Mm-hmm. 
As for as for the Saints moving forward, uh, Drew Brees said he would not comment on his future uh, hmm. moving forward and whether or not he's going to be returning as quarterback. I do kind of expect him to come back next year. He is signed through next season. He's been kind of doing these two-year deals with the Saints for, for the past couple of years now. So he is signed through next season, uh, paid a lot of money uh, to come back. I do fully expect him to. I think, you know, just losing the first round hurts and maybe he goes back and talks to his family and figures things out. I, I expect to come back, but moving forward though, you know, the, the future of the saints at the quarterback position is really up in the air for the first time uh, in a long time. And I, I think right now with the way that Teddy Bridgewater played in the six games that, that breeze was out, the saints went six and oh, he had a few amazing games. He had a few okay games where we were kind of like, all right, what is this guy? But he, he absolutely had some really strong performances uh, and has earned himself a contract this offseason, so I fully expect him to walk, uh, which means that Taysom Hill, uh, unless they go outside the organization, is the future at quarterback for the Saints. Blake, I know you're a Taysom Hill fan, and honestly, I don't see how you can watch the NFL without being a Taysom Hill fan, hmm. but do you think that he is a viable solution at quarterback? You know, Note I'm saying quarterback, not blocker slash receiver slash running back uh, for the Saints moving forward? Um, you know, no, you know, I, not to say, and, and that I feel bad saying that because I do really like watching Taysom Hill play, but do I think that he could be counted on as the Drew Brees role of 45 passes a game? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I think he's a good but, but person. But would put they in change there. the offense though? They would definitely change the offense around. I mean, you'd be thinking Lamar Jackson-esque type scheme, wouldn't you? Yeah, I I guess they could go that route. Um, I I just I guess my thing is is that he's a guy that has what seven eight completions in his career, or is it? I'm trying to think what his stats are. He doesn't have a touch on you. I wish I had Wi-Fi on my computer so I could pull this up. But look, I think Taysom Hill can be. I think that's I think that's just his I think that's his role. I wouldn't want to screw it up, and I would rather try and bring in someone or draft young. Uh, I would rather try that route and have him be this spark on everywhere else. Because if you put him as the quarterback, you're taking him away from from the special teams. You're taking him away from being a receiver. You're putting him in a position where he's doing less, but the responsibility is more. So I would rather keep him in the role that he's at. It's it's the most unique role in football and it's the most unique player on the field when he's out there and so when you take all of that away you lose that wrinkle and I think that personally I, I would rather try and get another quarterback in there and then make Taysom just consistently be that guy that does everything elsewhere. Taysom Hill has zero passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, and six receiving touchdowns in right. his career. All six, yeah. all six receiving touchdowns came in 2019. Yeah, let's let's just let him do that. Let's let him be that complete guy where he's on the field and it's like, oh shit, what the hell are we supposed to do with this guy? He was blocking for touchdowns. I think that that's a bigger mismatch than having him try and emulate, you know, this Lamar Jackson type of offense. You know, I. I I like the the tool that he is with the Saints offense, and I agree with Drew Brees at quarterback. It's a great asset to have. Um, but Taysom Hill wants to be a quarterback. He has said many times you know, that he loves what he's doing right now. He's happy to help the team any way he can. But Taysom Hill wants to be a quarterback. Mm -hmm. And you don't know how long he's going to be willing to do this for. You know, I think that the... You know, part of this whole deal of how Sean Payton has used him has been saying, look, we believe in you to be the future. 
you know, Sean Payton has talked about, you know, don't sleep on this Taysom Hill guy as a future quarterback. You know, he has a lot of talent. And I think that, you know, during training camp, uh, we saw a whole lot of him uh, in a traditional passer role. You know, obviously they didn't really use that in games, but, um, you know, when Breeze would sit during uh, preseason games, we'd see a lot of Taysom Hill running the offense. And, you know, he, he didn't look bad. I think that he's an underrated pocket presence. Uh, certainly has a cannon that he, he showed off in this game. And, you know, while he underthrew that ball, I do think that he, you know, can throw it deeper than that. Uh, I think we've seen him do that plenty of times in the past. But I, I do think that that's something that the organization is willing to do. I think that it's enticing to them to be able to have a cheaper player at the quarterback position and be able to use, you know, that cap space for other things. Because the Saints, for years, have been up against the cap. I mean, they are masters uh, at finding loopholes and ways to create cap space in order to make moves happen. Uh, but, you know, you've got a big payday for, say, Alvin Kamara coming up. Or if you don't want to pay him, Ryan Ramchek is certainly going to command a big oh, deal. Yeah. Marshawn Lattimore is coming up uh, on free agency. Von Bell uh, has really outplayed, uh, you know, the deal that they have him on. Demario Demar- Davis, yeah. another player. Uh, I mean, you know, you have, uh, of course, Marcus Davenport, who really came into his own this year before getting hurt uh, and missing this playoff run. And, you know, he's two years in and probably will want to deal uh, after next season. So, you know, these are a, a lot of names that you're, you're going to have to start paying. And, you know, mm-hmm. Breeze is, I want to say, the, the seventh or eighth highest paid quarterback in the NFL right now. Uh, you know, that's not going to cut it. If I mean, obviously, I don't think the Saints expect to have Breeze pass next season. Right. I feel like that's kind of the goal, the, the way they're seeing things right now. But even next year, a lot of these parts are going to get really expensive. They had a lot of, you know, the most all-pro players of any team in the NFC this year. And, and a lot of those guys are going to want to get paid. So I feel mm-hmm. like if they are going to get a quarterback that's going to be a younger guy, uh, somebody who would be, you know, maybe they, they trade for Josh Rosen uh, and put him behind um, uh, Taysom Hill next year just to give the guy a little bit of pressure if Breeze does retire. Uh, because obviously Teddy Bridgewater is going to be gone, and, you know, maybe you elevate um, Taysom Hill to be the primary backup next year, uh, which could be dangerous in the role that you use him in because it's more of an injury risk. Right. Uh, but there are certainly, like, you know, if Breeze retires, I feel like they roll with Taysom Hill as their number one quarterback next year. See how mm-hmm. it goes, and then go from there. Uh, because you know, then you can pivot. You know, if you if you find out Taysom Hill can't run an offense, yeah. uh, and all these guys are starting to get paid, you conceivably didn't do very well, and you have a higher draft pick. Maybe you get a quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, something of that nature. Yeah, I, I feel like at least if, if Breeze retires next year, would be Taysom Hill's year. Hey, I I agree with you. I just watched it happen in Indianapolis, and yeah, the Colts didn't make the playoffs, and but now we know. Jacoby Brissett isn't the future quarterback. We gave him a shot, and now he can figure that out. There's no problem in, in, in these short-term opportunities where you just say, okay, here's the keys to the car. Let's see what you can do. Try and prove yourself that you can be the long-term starter. If not, we'll go other directions. So I agree with you on also, that. Also, without looking, if you had to tell me how old Taysom Hill is, what would you say? Uh, I'm going to go 25, maybe. 26? 29. Oh, wow. Jeez. He's, he's older yeah, than I he's thought. Yeah, he's on the older side. Wow. He's on the older side. Uh, you know, kind of, we went undrafted and 
you know, bounced around a little bit before finally landing with the Saints. So mm-hmm. you know, when they finally figured out how to use him, yeah. Uh, so he really, you know, is considered a bit of a late bloomer right. in that, like, if if he doesn't have it now, he's not going to have it, you know, exactly. three years down the line because yeah. at that point, you know, he's going to be into his early thirties. Hey. So I think that if you are going to roll the dice, it's got to be next year, the year after. Right. Hey, just like and again, just like Jacoby, he's twenty seven. If he's not good by twenty seven, twenty eight, he doesn't have it. One other thing I exactly. will say about this situation too is we know and he Sean Payton let it come out a couple of years ago that he was going to draft Patrick Mahomes with that very next yeah. pick if the Chiefs didn't select him. So if there's a situation where he loves a quarterback in a draft process and he, he's not going to be a guy that trades up to draft a quarterback. He doesn't need to. He wants, you know, best player available. If there's a guy that he loves that falls to a situation in the next two drafts, we might look that route, but I, I completely agree that, you know, there's no problem with giving him a chance to see what he can do. All right, the last game uh, of Wild Card Weekend was between the Eagles and the Seahawks, and almost right away uh, we had a bit of a situation with Carson Wentz taking a hit to the head, going to the medical tent, and then the locker room never to be cleared to return to play. So right off the bat, the Eagles were dealt a bad hand, had to go with Josh McCown uh, to commandeer their offense, and while he put up a valiant effort, it just wasn't enough. Russell Wilson... Uh, had a fantastic game, probably the best game of any quarterback uh, this weekend, at least from a yardage standpoint in, in passing. 18 of 30 for 325 yards and a touchdown. That's a 108.3 passer rating. Uh, we had DK Metcalf go absolutely off, set the rookie record for the most receiving yards uh, in a game with 160. He had seven catches and a touchdown, uh, including uh, the, one of the, the dagger play, you could say, uh, in the fourth quarter that put the game out of reach uh, for Philadelphia. Ultimately, Eagles you know, dealt so many injuries throughout this year. Nine points in the game, a couple of field goals there, here and there. But other than that, they really weren't able to generate a whole lot of offense. You could say that's because Carson Wentz was on the sidelines. But, you know, this injury after injury really stacked up for this team. And finally, you know, it kind of dealt uh, the final blow. So the Eagles now go into the offseason after a 9-7 and season, which they probably didn't deserve to make the playoffs, but were in the weakest division mm-hmm. uh, in the league. And, of course, somebody's got to win the NFC East, so <laughs> it just so happened to be the Eagles. That, meanwhile, the Seahawks will now go to Lambeau to take on the Packers uh, on the road uh, in that NFC divisional round game. But overall, Blake, what's your big takeaway here from Seahawks over Eagles? Uh, a big takeaway, I, I just I can't have any confidence in Seattle moving forward. Um, you know, they, they this was a one-possession game. Yeah, the passing offense was able to make some big plays down there, but when you're going to go up against a team, and that's, you know, whether that's Green Bay or maybe they advance and it's the Vikings or the 49ers, I don't like Seattle's odds. Without a running game going, um, they're just too one-dimensional. Unfortunately, like I said, Philadelphia, I mean, you said it right there. They they were missing everybody. They, they have nobody out there, and they were only able to put up 17 points on a you know, a great front four, but the back the back seven right there isn't great at all. So my biggest takeaway was congrats on Seattle getting the win. It's kind of one of those scenarios where I say, you know, Russell Wilson and those two receivers, Lockett and Metcalf, had a great game. Uh, but, you know, I, Philadelphia hung around in there too much with, with far inferior talent, you know, compared to the Packers, the 49ers, and the Vikings. Um, my, my biggest takeaway is that if Seattle, if you, if you are a, a Seattle fan out there and you believe that they're going to have a shot to make a run in the postseason, I just say, what did they really prove us in this game besides the fact that they only won by eight 
against a very banged up team, missing just about everyone on offense and a lot of people on defense. I did not feel good about Seattle uh, and, and how they performed this weekend. Yeah, I mean, they, like the Eagles, have been dealt a lot of injuries. I mean, Marshawn Lynch is at running back right, right. now for that, yeah. which goes to show you you know, just how deep they've been having to dig uh, into their depth chart with some of these injuries. But they de- certainly you know, let the Eagles hang around despite the fact that they really weren't generating any offense. I, I kept looking at the score and thinking, why haven't the Seahawks scored more? Mm-hmm. You know, with, with how often that the Eagles were punting the ball, you felt like Seattle was getting a lot of opportunities to score and just really wasn't doing anything with it. So going into Lambeau is going to be a really tough situation uh, for them. And you know, moving forward, I don't know if this is the year necessarily. Uh, I think that you know it's kind of similar to what the Texans look like right now, where it's just kind of Deshaun Watson yep. and everybody else. It's kind of Russell Wilson running the show. Mm-hmm. But that being said, this was, I don't want to say a coming out party for DK Metcalf because he had a very good rookie year. But you know, uh, I think that we need to start talking about Metcalf and Tyler Lockett as one of the best wide receiver duos in the NFL. Do you hate that take, Blake? Uh, no, I don't. I don't hate that take. I think they're, they've got a very diverse skill set. And uh, I think, you know, what it came out of is Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson's connection is, is the best in the league. So hands down, the connection between Wilson and Lockett, I think they almost have a, a perfect passer rating uh, between the two of them when Russell Wilson is throwing to Lockett. And then DK, he's, he's just a freak. DBs can't guard him. You know, defensive backs can't guard a guy that size that's that quick. Uh, yeah, people didn't like his three-cone coming out, but he's a – an unbelievable talent. I remember us talking in the beginning of the this podcast how surprised we were that DK, DK Metcalf fell into the second round. I mean, God, I, I think in our mock draft that we did, you had him at four to the Raiders. I had him at 11 to the Packers. Yeah. He ended up going like, what, 57th, 59th? It's, you know, it's absurd how much, much he fell. Uh, but when you've got a great quarterback and you've got a great connection with a, your number one guy, and then a rookie who apparently studies like no other. Russell Wilson has been preaching about how passionate he is about learning the game of football. Um, it, it, it just makes it that much easier to, to connect with those guys. And so, yeah, you know, in terms of one-two punches, they have to be up there as some of the best in football. I'm trying to think who I would have over them right now just off the top of my head. Um, you I'd know, go Diggs and Thielen would bet probably at number yeah, one. Yeah, I would probably say that's... Landry and OBJ, yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, it depend, kind of depends on how think, you feel about I think Odell at this point. Total talent-wise, I would say yes, but I just think that when you've got Russell Wilson throwing to them, I mean, if you had Russell Wilson throwing to Odell and Jarvis, I think they perform better than Lockett. And, uh, yes, and, this is true. But I think it just comes down to it's not only the fact that two of them are so great, but that Russell Wilson is, is one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and so he in himself elevates their play. But that's not to take away from how uh, great that both of them have been this season and DK Metcalf as of late, of course, too. I think I'd also put DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller up there. Right, I mean, yeah. Obviously, just, Fuller yeah. wasn't healthy, but um, you know when he's there, that offense is just so so dynamic. Uh, with his ability to take the top off the defense. Definitely. On the flip side of things, though, you know that hit on Carson Wentz to Davion Clowney kind of came from behind uh, and hit his helmet with his own helmet into the ground, and you know he immediately left. And there came with the video uh, a lot of calls for him to be ejected from that game. Blake, do you think that was worthy of ejection? Do you think that was a targeting hit? Uh, even you know, uh, to me, just real quick. It felt like it wasn't on purpose, 
You know, he, he just mm-hmm. kind of, yeah. you see that all the time where a, a player is falling and the player behind them goes up to make the tackle. He's not the guy immediate on the tackle, but trying to finish it. He just kind of dives downward and tries to bring the player down with his momentum. I, I feel like we see that all the time. I don't know. Do you, do you think that this was, you know, a little bit more than that? No, I completely agree with you. I think everything, and this can even go into the push-off uh, that we were talking about in the Minnesota-New Orleans game, everything looks worse in slow motion. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a good hit at all, but you've got a guy that, you know, they're both falling to the ground. I don't think he's, you know, we've seen plays where, where athletes dive their helmets into the others intentionally trying to hurt them. Both of them were falling to the ground, and just the way that it happened, you know, Jadavion Clowney's helmet, you know, hit into Carson right before he hit the ground, and so they both knocked into each other. I don't think he should have been ejected. Um, of course, it's just one of those unfortunate plays in football that they didn't catch at the time and maybe, you know, could have taken a further look at to, to determine. But I agree. I don't think there was intent for Jadavion Clowney to knock Carson Wentz out of that game. And speaking of Wentz, moving forward, I mean, yeah. do you feel worried about the situation that the Eagles are in where they have so much money locked into him in their future when he's played all of... You know, he's thrown four playoff passes in his career. <laughs> no, you know, it, it's just it, he's just so unlucky. He, he's just so yeah. unlucky. That's what it is. And, and we see it, you know, from time to time. I always pull comparisons to my, my, you know, the team that I follow the most just because I watch them. But, you know, I sat through years of Andrew Luck being locked up as the highest paid quarterback in the league and just seeing him on the sidelines because he couldn't stay healthy. And so, you know, fortunately for the Eagles, they still had the chance to make the playoffs in those years. The Colts, you know, really didn't uh, when Andrew Luck was banged up. But it's just one of those situations. Some players are just unlucky. And, yeah, you know, a ton of injuries doesn't look great, but they're not all in the same part of his body. If it was consistently knee issues, you know, where it started off with a torn ACL, if he was still having problems with his knee, then, yeah, that's something that I think, you know, after the second or third time, it's like, okay, let's start to worry. But it's been his knee, it's been his lower back, you know, it's been, you know, the concussion now that was worrisome in this game uh, yesterday, technically now. Um, so all in all, I, I'm not too worried. Of course, you, you did pay a lot of money for him, but I mean, the run that he did the month leading up until the postseason and how he was able to bring Philadelphia into the playoffs, I just thought it was remarkable. And, uh, and I think it shows you the talent that he has. It's just, it, it's he's just unlucky, man. He he's just unlucky. And he's got a terrible situation around him. I mean, everybody yeah. got hurt in yeah. that offense. I mean, who who's he throwing to the ball to at this Craig point? Ward, <laughs> JJ Ortega, Whiteside. Yeah. Like, please give me a break. Exactly. Uh, you know, I I agree. It, this was kind of a freak injury. You know, it's hard to to hold something like that against a player. You know, like you said, if if it had been you know something in the leg that mm-hmm. you know, was a, a constant thing, then maybe you say okay, like. Do we need to have a talk about whether or not you can play again? Right. But with, with you know, obviously, you know, hope, hopefully his head's okay and he'll be able to come back from this uh, because apparently, you know, his wife was called down to the locker room. Yeah, and, scary. Uh, they're they're pretty worried about you know how things are right now. So I'm not exactly sure what the state is. Hopefully, we get some good news about that coming out mm-hmm. uh, in the next couple of days. But you know, I, I don't think that this is necessarily as long. Granted, he's okay. That this is a, a cause for long term concern about his health. Uh, it's a freak injury, and he really did play really well down the stretch. Now, he wasn't an MVP candidate all year. Uh, I think that, Blake, at some point we need to sit down and go over our preseason predictions. Um, yeah, we do. Carson Wentz was my MVP pick. Ah, uh, so nice. that obviously did not happen, but I did do think that he was the uh, one of the most valuable players on the Eagles for most oh, of the yeah. year. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
even despite the the hate that he was getting, you know, week in and week out from his own fan base, you know, I felt like, you know, he put together a solid year and maybe the numbers won't show that, but you know, you have to look at the situation a player is in uh before making that full judgment and you could argue that uh, there were few players in the playoffs, a few quarterbacks in the playoffs who were in a worse spot than Wentz was uh, having to commandeer this team. Definitely. And I mean, you take a look at what they looked like at the beginning of the season, uh, even in just week one, how the offense looked. When you had Alshon out there working the outside, Nelson Aguilar, yeah, he's not great. But then you also had Deshaun Jackson before his injury. I think they connected on, what, a couple 50-yard touchdowns in that game? Deshaun Jackson was like was the key to that offense. He made it tick, that deep threat, that vertical threat, and they just missed it throughout the entire season. He couldn't come back healthy. Uh, if they can go get a guy like that this offseason who's a little bit younger and a little bit more reliable, um, I, I would expect the Eagles to, you know, hopefully try and make things right next year. But, yeah, it's just it's one of those situations. He, he had nothing to work with this year and still brought them to the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, I don't feel great about the injuries and consistently not being able to have him play a full playoff game or make it to the playoffs fully healthy. But uh, he's still a young quarterback. He's still got a lot of time left to prove everybody wrong. I just hope uh, he can finally get some some situation around him where he's going into the postseason with a fully healthy team and everybody feeling good going into the uh, postseason. All right, last thing real quick uh, before we head out. We've got four games next week. Yes. Which one, Blake, are you most excited about? Saturday, Vikings at 49ers, then Titans at Ravens. Sunday, Texans at Chiefs and Seahawks at Packers. Which game stands out to you? Uh, so both the AFC games go to me. I'm, I'm going to give the edge to the to the Texans and the Chiefs just because I think Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes are talking two of the best quarterbacks in the game going up against one another. Um, and, and not to take away, I guess now on the other side too that I'm thinking about it, you got Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, and that's just amazing in itself too. But, um, I, he, man, I, I would have to go with the Chiefs and and the Texans, just those two guys, the Mitchell Trubisky Bowl. Um, I think those two are going to go back and forth. Um, still like the, the Chiefs in that game. And then, you know, on the other AFC game, you know, the Titans and the Ravens, that's going to be a bloodbath. Both those guys are going to punch each other in the face for 60 minutes. Uh, it's going to be a much tougher uh, matchup for the Titans than their previous game against the Patriots. But I expect that both those teams to stick in there for 60 minutes and just deliver blow after blow on offense. And it's really going to come down to whichever defense shows up stronger. Yeah, I feel I feel like the Chiefs are going to dominate the Texans. Yeah, that's that's just my first thing when I look at that. I, I do like the matchup of Deshaun Watson yeah. versus Patrick Mahomes, uh, but the supporting casts are just so starkly different. Um, in my opinion, I, I really think this Chiefs defense is legit, man. I mean, the, okay. the way they've come <laughs> along, and I'm sure we'll talk about this on the next podcast hey. when we talk about these games, but. Um, you know, I, I feel like last year this was such a Achilles heel for them, uh, and it's really come to a point where I feel like they can control the tempo. Yeah, and I gotta, I gotta call you out. I gotta, I'm mad at you. You told me I was dumb for thinking Steve Spagnuolo was gonna fix this defense. You told me early oh, on man. in the podcast. I told oh, you it was gonna be man. better. I told you it was gonna be better. You, you told me I was stupid. Okay, he didn't have the track record no, he that didn't. indicated he definitely he didn't. would make it better. No. And Tyron Matthew has absolutely you know, a stepped up his game. You know, he, he was he was very good early on in his career, and then he kind of took a step back for a year or two. But he's come back in full force this year, and, and maybe had his best season yet. Um, so that's been a difference maker. I also uh, I really think that Seahawks Packers is going to be interesting. I know mm-hmm. you you don't expect a whole lot uh, out of this Seahawks team, but uh, I I think that 
Russell Wilson right. will be able to will this team uh, into making it competitive. The Seahawks have been considered a road warrior type team in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I feel like that game to me, is, which is the last game of the weekend, right. is probably the one I'm looking forward to the most. Because I'm also, the Packers have just won ugly all year. They're a team where you look at their record and you're like, holy crap, they're 13-3. and three. Yeah. You know, it just, they don't feel like a 13-3 and three team. They Like the Saints, you know, they, they stood out as this scary offense uh, Drew Brees, you know, at quarterback, and uh, all of these amazing weapons that they have. And then you go to the 49ers with the the best defense in the NFL, and uh, you know Jimmy Garoppolo coming into his own. I mean, Kyle Shanahan at the helm. Like they, those teams, they just really stand out. And yes, the Packers mm-hmm. have Aaron Rodgers, but you know it, this this they haven't really just dominated teams all year to the right. point where you're like, okay, this is a, a championship contender. They just play close with everybody, so I feel yeah. like. Russell Wilson of all players is a guy who could win if a game is close at the end, you know, mm-hmm. if it's, you know, a, a three-point game at that point it's a toss-up, you know. Yeah, you know, and I and, feel like I, I might give the edge to Russell Wilson in that matchup. Well, and and that's the thing, both of those teams have been winning ugly all season. The Seahawks, uh, I think they're up to yes. now 12 or 13 of their games have been decided by one possession. So, both these teams went ugly. It, it is going to be an exciting game. I was I wanted to draw it back after I realized that we were getting Rodgers versus Wilson because that is just that is just football porn right there. But um, <laughs> I'm excited for that one. I'm excited. And, and comparing both of those games, um, you know, the Chiefs and the Packers, to me, have the better rosters. But then you've got Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. And it's like, what can those guys do? Are they going to ball out again like they did this past week to win? Uh, so I'm excited. It, it's making up to be a, a really exciting postseason. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. Uh, Don't forget to follow us both on Twitter. I'm at by Matt Wyrick. Blake is over at Blake Andrew Pace. We are both sports heads and we'll tweet a lot about sports, particularly football, uh, with the playoffs ongoing. I've been uh, not covering, but just kind of uh, in the office with a lot of Ravens people. Hmm. Uh, so I'll probably be very closely watching the Ravens game next week. So uh, stay tuned for that. I'm, I was been full on Lamar Jackson for MVP almost all season. So uh, I was ahead of that bandwagon. Just want to say uh, Blake will, I'm assuming we'll be tweeting about football. Um, oh yeah. It's all I do as well as of course, writing uh, about Syracuse and the Colts uh, for SB nation. So overall, lots of good sports stuff coming up. We've got NBA coming your way. We meant to get to it today. This episode ran a little bit long, so we'll, we'll talk some basketball and you know maybe maybe baseball. I don't know if we can hey. fit it in, but I would like to. We'll see. Hey Matt. Um, yeah. Did you know the Yankees signed Garrett Cole? Oh, dude. I don't think I don't think we've talked about this. <laughs> no, we? we haven't. <laughs> Not on the show, at least. Yeah. I think we're going to have to do a full uh, just decompress from this offense or from from this offseason, excuse me, Yeah. Uh, at some point and just kind of say, all right, wh- what do we look like going into next year? Because I'm sure you have some takes. I have Ooh. plenty of takes, uh, and I'm sure we will get to all of it. So glad to be back uh, into the swing of things. Blake, any final words for the good people? No, yeah. Like you said, excited to be back. Excited for the rest of this postseason to continue. Um, and, and, yeah, let's just keep rolling with it. I, I'm uh, I'm glad that we, we got to fit in an hour in our schedules, man. Let's keep, it, uh, keep this thing rolling. Hell, yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.